0: So, this is lesson number seven, or part seven on our series. Um, this is probably going to be the last one. Um, and it's important to note that as we've gone through these doctrines, these are very basic uh, lessons. Uh, there's a lot more that you can teach from each one of them. Um, for instance, the gospel, right? We explain what it is, but you can go into more depth uh, understanding how you live from that. Right. your everyday life should be lived from the gospel and how it is the power of God uh, on your everyday life um, when you think about the Trinity right, there's many uh, verses and comparisons and cross references you can do from the Old Testament to the New Testament and uh, very much more in depth study you can do on that as well as the deity of Christ um, think about the judgment of God right? there's a lot more verses that talk about that and a lot more uh, in-depth studies we could do on the judgment of God uh, creation right you have gap theory you have uh, the six day creation The thousand year each day is a thousand years right some of those are wrong there's only one correct one but there's these doctors that come out of it so you need to study more in depth so that you can defend uh, the correct doctrine right and understand what the scriptures teach about these um, versus just explaining right our basic teachings that God created it, right and we reject evolution um, but then there's other doctrines that come out of when did God create it? How long did it take for him to create it? Right. And so there's much more in-depth studies we could do uh, on each of these doctrines. Um, last week we talked about the word of God being our final authority. Um, how do we know we have the word of God today right, is a question one would ask. Um, has God preserved his word in English? Right. Can we use other translations? These are all studies that we need to do. And hopefully we'll get to as we continue uh, meeting every week. Uh, but I just want you to know these are basic, right, fundamental doctrines that we are trying to establish here, uh, and then we can piece out all the uh, details in later lessons. Uh, but this week is going to be our last one, and it is we are Mid-Acts dispensational. Um, so a lot of churches, right, have a name: Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, right? This kind of explains what that church uh, is, right, what they teach. Um, Baptists, you're never going to teach. Baptism, uh, maybe not for salvation. Some might teach you for salvation. uh, But you've got to be baptized to join the church, right? They teach that baptism is a command of God for us today, right? You have to do it uh, to show that you believe in the gospel. Um, Presbyterians, they uh, differentiate on baptism and they do the infant baptism, right? They're often Calvinist, Presbyterians are. Uh, They hold to Covenant theology, I believe a lot of them. Uh, Catholics, obviously, they have a lot of corrupt doctrines. Where Mary is a saint, right, and they worship Mary. Uh, they have the uh, um, communion where they say when you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're actually eating the body and blood of Christ, and you have to do that for salvation, right? So, a lot of uh, false doctrines. Um, but these names tell you kind of what that church teaches. And so, we are mid ex dispensational, right? We are mid ex dispensational congregation or uh, church, and so we want to piece out what that means and whether or not it's biblical, right? If we're going to call ourselves Mid-Acts Dispensational, then it should be a biblical doctrine that we find in the scripture, right? And I believe, of course, that it is, otherwise I wouldn't be Mid-Acts. But again, as we do every week going through the purpose of this series, um, the fundamentals of our faith, fundamental is a necessary base or core of central importance, right? And I believe being mid acts dispensational is definitely a necessary base or a core of central importance. Um, we will learn from the scripture uh, where we find this doctrine of being mid acts dispensational. Um, it's not based off of one verse. It's not based off of Second uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, which is quoted a lot, and I did not include that in the lesson today because that is not a verse. Uh, as we have said every week, we don't pull from one verse and say, we're going to build a doctrine off of this, right? So I just say that, show thyself approved to working unto God, that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're not going to take that verse and say, we rightly divide in the mid x we call it 2 Timothy 2.15 says to be, right? That's one verse, right? How do I know it means that I need to rightly divide Paul and Peter and mystery and prophecy, and how do I know that's what it's talking about, right? Um, it's, I know that's what it's talking about because of all the other scriptural support for it, right? Um, so these are doctrines that we find clearly taught and defended in the Scripture. We do not stand on opinions from a single debatable verse, right? Um, and so I did not include that. I don't believe in the outline there because this doctrine is not based upon that one verse. Um, I know it's used a lot, but it's not what this doctrine is based off of. So where do we find it in Scripture? Where do we find Mid-Acts this Um you do not find the term mid dispensational, just like you don't find the term rapture or trinity, right? These are doctrines that explain what the Bible teaches. Um, trinity means three in one, right? Trying God. Uh, rapture means the taking away or the taking up, right, of the body of Christ. Uh, mid ax dispensational means we are dispensational, and the mid ax is that's when we believe the mystery was revealed, uh, when the body of Christ was began and that information was revealed. Uh, when this dispensation of the grace of God, which is a biblical term, right, was uh, dispensed, right? That's what dispensation means, to dispense something, an administration, right? Um, So the term mid-axe is not found in the scripture. It simply describes when we believe the mystery of the body of Christ was revealed and when we believe this age of grace began. Uh, But the word dispensation is a biblical word, so we do not find the term mid-axe dispensational but we do find the word dispensation in the Bible. Uh, it is found in four different places. First Corinthians 9.7. Uh, 9.17, sorry. Paul says, For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So what he's saying here is he didn't come up with this, right? It wasn't his will or his plan to have this gospel, but rather God dispensed right, this gospel to him. A dispensation of the gospel, right, of the good news was committed to Paul, right? So he has a dispensation of the gospel. In Ephesians 1.10, we're going through Ephesians on uh, Tuesday nights, so we've already covered these verses, uh, but it says... In verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So you see in verse 10 there, in the dispensation of the fullness of time. So there's a dispensing or a period administration of the fullness of time. It tells you what God is going to do there. He's going to gather all things, both in heaven and earth, in Christ. Right? So we can uh, know the mystery of God's will here, is what it's saying here in verse 9. He's made known the mystery of his will, um, that in the dispensation of fullness of time, so he can gather all things in Christ, both in heaven and in earth and we have uh, heard lessons and mentioned before, that's explained through prophecy and the mystery, right? Things on earth will be gathered in Christ through Israel and through prophecy and God's plan for the earth. And Things in heaven will be gathered through the body of Christ and the mystery and God's purpose uh, in heavenly places, right? Uh, so you have that word dispensation there in Ephesians 1.10, talking about the dispensation of the fullness of time. Uh, the next place is Ephesians 3. Verse 1, it says, For this calls I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you. So Paul says a dispensation of the grace of God was given to him to give to the Gentiles. Right? Uh, It's given me to you. So Paul was given a dispensation of the gospel, we saw in 1 Corinthians 9. And here he says a dispensation of the grace of God that was given to him. And then Colossians 1.25 is speaking of the same thing that he is speaking of in Ephesians. In the dispensation of grace, he says, Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given me, uh, given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which I have been hid from ages and generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory right and so he says I was giving uh, I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given me to fulfill the word of God right and so this is all connected. Um, the mystery fulfills the word of God or fills your knowledge in what God is doing and again that explains how God can gather all things in earth and in heaven. Right. The mystery explains how God can gather things in heaven. Prophecy has already explained how he can gather things on the earth through the nation of Israel. Right? When all Gentiles come to Jerusalem, when Christ is sitting on the king, right? And salvation is there in Jerusalem on the earth. Uh, so the mystery, uh, the dispensation of grace, the dispensation of the mystery, gives us full understanding right, in God's will. And so dispensation is a biblical world. So when we say uh, we are dispensational, it's not that this is not a term that we find out of the Bible, right? Um, Hebrews 1, which is not on your outline, but it talks about God at sundry times, and in diverse manners spake uh, in time past, right? So he spake at different times and in different ways. And this is the dispensational idea that God pre- uh, revealed things progressively, right? He didn't reveal everything at once. Uh, we said the mystery was given to Paul, and Paul doesn't come on the scene until the book of Acts. Right, which is after Christ died and was resurrected, which he had to do before he could reveal the mystery. Um, we'll see that very clearly here. Uh, so this was not known until Paul, which is our next point in the mystery, was revealed to the Apostle Paul. If we go back to Ephesians 3, verse 1 through 5. It says for this cause I Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Right, so Paul very clearly says. Uh, the dispensation of the grace of God was given to me and the revelation uh, of the mystery was made known unto me. Whereby when you read what I wrote for you can have understanding in the mystery. Right? That's what he's saying here in Ephesians 3, 1-5. through 5. It was not made known in other ages, it was revealed to me. And when I, what I wrote, you can read and have understanding of it. That's, that's a very uh, simple explanation of what he's saying here. In Romans 16, 25, He says, Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Right? And so he says, This mystery, this gospel, which he calls his gospel, right, was kept secret since the world began, but now it's made manifest. So the but now is in Paul's day, right, because it was revealed to him. It was kept secret before the foundation of the world, so after the world was formed, it was a secret, right? But now, in Paul's day, it is a manifest, right? And so it's showing you that it was uh, revealed to Paul. Uh, Colossians 1, through 27, we just read that, where he said it was given to him to fulfill the word of God, right? So very clear verses saying the mystery was revealed to Paul was not made known in time past in other ages. Why it was kept secret since the world began. 2 Timothy 1 8 11. Paul is encouraging Timothy here. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, wherein to I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And so what you have here is, he says, uh, eternal life in the gospel was given before the world began, right? So God promised it before the world began, but he says um, it is now made manifest. So again, God knew of it. God knew about the mystery. It was hidden God, it says in Ephesians, before the world began. But it wasn't known to man until God revealed it to the Apostle Paul. So you have here in verse 10, he says, It is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. So some people would take that to say, well, he appeared in the manger. Right? Well, he also died, resurrected, went up to heaven, and then appeared again to the Apostle Paul. Right, so it could be that appearing that it's talking about here, and that's the appearing that I would say it is, because it says the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher. So what he's saying here is, it was brought by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who have abolished death. When did Christ abolish death? Was it when he was born in a manger? No, it was at the end of his ministry when he died and resurrected. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, right, which is his death and resurrection. Right, so the appearing here isn't the appearing right, in the manger. It's the appearing to the Apostle Paul because he says, Whereinto I am appointed. When did God appoint Paul? Was it at his ascension? No, Paul wasn't there. Right? He appointed Paul in Acts chapter 9 and gave him this dispensation of grace, revealed the mystery, brought life and immortality to light. The gospel that was given to Paul. Right? So you have here the scripture teaching, Paul was given this mystery, right? Paul was given this dispensation. Very clear verses. Um, Paul was saved as a pattern, right? He was saved as a pattern uh, for us today, saved by grace through faith. If you go to Acts 7:58, This is the stoning of Stephen. It says, They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Right, so this is our introduction to Saul. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, no doubt condoning it, right, approving of it, uh, and they laid their coats at his feet. Uh, in, verse, uh, in Acts 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Right, so Paul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death, right? He was approving of it. Uh, and then there was a great persecution led by the apostle Paul of the Jerusalem church, right? And it scattered them out of Jerusalem uh, into the regions of Judah and Samaria. And then in Acts 9, verse 1, it says, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priests. And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. So you have here, right, Christ appearing, which we just talked about, to the Apostle Paul. Right? And this is Paul's conversion, right, his salvation here. Um, what we have here, though, is a pattern. Paul, who was in rejection against Jesus Christ, right? he was persecuting the Jerusalem church, who was calling Jesus Christ the Messiah, right? he was in rejection of that, and God saved him by grace. Um, I don't believe there's anybody else in the Scripture before Paul that you see in direct opposition against God that he saves. Right? You think about Nineveh. Right? He gives them a chance of repentance, but it's not that he saves them by their grace. Right? It's that he doesn't destroy them at that time if they repent. Right? Um, they didn't trust in Christ's death and resurrection. Right Here, Paul is definitely trusting in the resurrection of Christ because Christ has died, and he's appearing now to Paul. Right, And so Paul is trusting, believing, right, this is Jesus the Lord, which is what he says here, but without having to do, Lord. Right? Uh, and so he clearly says this in 1 Timothy 1, 11 through 16. That he was a pattern to them which would hereafter believe. So words are very important when you're reading. In 1 Timothy 1.11 it says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. You see this glorious gospel was committed to Paul's trust. He was entrusted with it. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all suffering for a pattern to them which would hereafter believe on him to life everlasting." so Paul says it's a faithful saying uh, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And many people take that word chief and say it means Paul was the worst sinner that ever lived. That's not what it means. It means he was first in order. That's what a chief is. They are first in order. Right? It doesn't mean they're the worst. Uh, you think about chiefs often in the uh, Native American culture. Right? It doesn't mean they're the worst Indian or Native American to ever live. Right? It means they are first in order. He is the chief sinner, the first in order to be saved by grace, which is what he clearly says in the next verse when he says, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first right? Jesus Christ might show forth of all suffering, for a pattern to them which would hear after belief. So Paul is saying, I am a pattern. Right? A pattern is something you make. The first one is a prototype, and then you make the rest after that pattern. Right? Um, so Paul is saying, I'm the first, I'm the pattern, those that are here after. Right? It's a timeline. Here is where it's Paul's salvation and those after, not those before. right? Paul is the pattern, he's the first, he's the prototype, and it's those after that are uh, uh, saved by grace through faith, believing on Christ. Right? And so this First uh, Timothy 1, verse 11 through 16, clearly shows Paul was the first saved in this dispensation of grace. If you go to Galatians 1, 11 through 16, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, and that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion. Above many mine equals, in mine own nation, be more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I confirmed not with flesh and blood. Right, so you have Paul here saying that he was given this gospel directly from Jesus Christ, right, and that he was uh that God chose to reveal his son in him, right, his grace. He chose to reveal it in Paul, right? Because Paul was that first one. If you go to 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth their own, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Paul says he laid the foundation. Uh, He says, of course, the foundation is Jesus Christ, but Paul was the one that laid it. He was the first to have this information. He was the first to be saved by grace through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. He was the pattern, and so he is the master builder. He's the one that laid the foundation because it was given to him to lay that foundation. So what you have in 1 Corinthians 11.1 is, Not only is Paul a pattern of how salvation works today by grace through faith, but he's also a pattern of how we are to follow Jesus Christ, right? He says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, right? So Paul encourages people, be ye followers of me, as I am of Christ, right? So we need to follow uh, Christ according to the information that was given to Paul, right? Uh, That's what he's saying here. So you have... uh, Dispensation is a biblical word. The mystery was revealed first to Paul and Paul was saved as a pattern uh, for this age And the last point is that Paul was commissioned as the Apostle to the Gentiles So in Acts 9 15 through 16 We read about Paul's uh, conversion and Jesus Christ appearing to Paul Next Acts 9, 15-16, he's telling Ananias to go to Paul uh, so that he can have his sight restored. It says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. Right, so Paul was a chosen vessel to bear uh, Christ's name before the Gentiles. Romans 11, 13 he says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. Right, so Paul had the office of being the apostle to the Gentiles. Romans fifteen sixteen. He says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So, Paul says he was the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. That was the office he was given. Galatians 2, verse 6 through 8. He says, But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For those who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. All right? So he says, the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, and the same that was mighty in Peter to the circumcision was mighty in me to the Gentiles. All right? So talking about God's, uh, the Holy Spirit working through Paul in his ministry to the Gentiles and how... The apostles, who are those who seem to be somewhat, right, they didn't add nothing to Paul, right, but they acknowledge Paul's apostleship to the Gentiles. Ephesians 3.1, we read that already in Colossians 1.27, where Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Uh, Colossians 1.27, he said to make known the mystery uh, and the riches of the glory of God to the Gentiles. Right, that is his purpose. 2 Timothy 1.11, we read that as well. Uh, Talking about the gospel that was brought to light through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So very clearly, Paul is commissioned. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his commission, that was his purpose, uh, to bring the gospel to the nations. Right? the gospel of the grace of God, this mystery. And so when we talk about mid-Acts, um, we're not explaining in this lesson what the mystery is. Um, quite simply, it is how salvation could go to the Gentiles apart from Israel, right? apart from the covenants, um, and how grace could be offered to them right? based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, it has to do with the body of Christ. right? This is the mystery, Jew and Gentile on level ground in Christ uh, in this age of grace. Um, But when did that begin is what Mid-Acts teaches, right? Mid-Acts' dispensation explains when that would have began. And what we're showing here is it clearly began with the Apostle Paul, right? It could not have been uh, before him. He clearly says it was revealed to me. I am first. I'm the pattern, right? So you have these words. Uh, It was clearly taught to me from Jesus Christ himself. Why is that? Because no other man knew the information, right? So it had to be given from Jesus Christ because he's revealing he's dispensing something new here. Right? So, I think it's very clear that we find uh, the church, the body of Christ, the mystery, the age of grace began and was revealed to the Apostle Paul. So, why is this important? Well, it's important because without recognizing this, uh, you will not know God's will for you today. Right? Uh, we see confusion all throughout uh, churches. Right? Should we tithe? Right? Should we baptize? Should we take communion? Right? Um, you see people question all the time, what is God's will for my life? I don't know. Right? Let me pray and hope He directs me. Right? And I'll do whatever I want to do until then. Right? and So if you don't understand uh, how to rightly divide, right, if you don't understand when the mystery was revealed, when the grace of God was revealed, what that is, you will not know what God's will is for you today. And so Ephesians 1, which we read earlier, Talking about dispensation is a biblical word. Right? It explains God's will for the ages. It says, wherein he had abounded toward us, and all wisdom and prudence have been made known unto us the mystery of his will. So he's made known the mystery of his will. It's not a secret anymore. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purpose in himself, and the dispensation, and the fullness of times so he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ Jesus. Verse thirteen: In Him ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So verse thirteen explains how you get in Christ today. Right? You hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believe it, and then you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. First Corinthians 12, 13 says we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile. It right? says so how you become into Christ today by believing the gospel and being sealed with that spirit placed in the body of Christ. Right, This is the mystery of information. Um, so it's important that you know where that begins and where you find that information for today. Right, Because that's what God's doing today is... Saving people into the body of Christ by grace. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 through 10. So I made the comment earlier that you had to have the death and resurrection before the mystery could be revealed because the mystery is based off the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, 1 Corinthians 2 6 through 10, it says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to null. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So what Paul is saying here is that the purpose of the death and resurrection in this mystery information was not known before the world um, unto our glory, because he says if they knew that purpose of the cross, right, the princes of this world would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's debate over who the princes are, right? Is that Satan and angels, or is it the leaders that were here on earth? Either way, the the point is the same, that they didn't know it, because if they knew it, they wouldn't have allowed Christ to die, right? And so that purpose was kept secret. Um, otherwise, Christ would not have been crucified. They would have tried to prevent it, is what this is saying. It's also interesting in verse 9, he's quoting uh, from the prophets, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. So the prophets teach, right, we don't know the things that God has prepared for man. And in verse 10, Paul says, but God has revealed them to us. Right? And so through the mystery, and as we're learning through Ephesians, we know the things that God has prepared for us. Right? The riches of glory that He has for us. Right? And so what we have here is the mystery being revealed so that we can know what God has for us, what His plan is for us, right, and who we are in Christ. First Timothy 2, 4 through 7. Tells us what the will of God is today. Verse three it says, "For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth." Right? That is God's will today—that all men would be saved and that they would come into a knowledge of the truth. Right? So we, as members of the body of Christ, are to pursue that, right—to see men saved and to see them come into the knowledge of the truth. First Thessalonians 5, 18. Says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Right? So give thanks in all things. This is the will of God for your life. Right. So if you're struggling with the will of God, you don't understand the mystery. You don't understand uh, what God is doing today. Right? He's saving people by grace. He would have all men be saved and have them come into a knowledge of the truth. Right? So we can know what God's will is today. Um, which is to see souls saved, come to a knowledge of the truth. Ephesians 3.9 talks about making all men see right? what is the fellowship of the mystery. That's what we are to be doing today. And then we also give thanks in all things. Right? And so you have to uh, recognize when this mystery, this age began, uh, so that you can know God's will for you today. Also, if you do not know when this age began, your foundation and your doctrine will be wrong. If we are specifically living in an age of grace as members of the body of Christ and you don't know when that began, you're going to be confused, again, as to what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, your foundation, your doctrine is going to be wrong. You can't differentiate between what was given to you and what was given to Israel or someone else. Uh, again, we see this all throughout churches today who do not understand that the mystery was given first to Paul. And that we find that information in his epistles, uh, they confuse things. And so if you go to Acts 2, verse 4, this is where a lot of people say the church began. Right? And so what you have here is they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them others. So if this is the beginning of the church and the apostles are speaking in tongues, it would make sense that we should speak in tongues. Right? And then you have this debate between Acts 2 people who say, well, should we or should we not? The ones that say we shouldn't get that from Paul, right? The ones that say we should get it from Acts 2, which is where they're both saying the church began, so I would side with the people that say we should speak in tongues today, right? Because if this is when the church began, this is our pattern, right? But this is not when the church began is the point. Paul said he is the pattern, and so we find this from Paul's information, whether or not we should speak in tongues. Uh, Acts 2.38 verse 37 after uh, Peter preaches here they ask men and brethren what shall we do so they're asking the apostles well what, we, what do we do with this information you just given and Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost you have people that teach you have to be baptized for salvation and they use this verse to show it again Acts two. So this is when the church began you can teach you can speak in tongues if you're saved and you've got to be baptized to be saved right? and you can take that from the scripture here if this is your pattern so you can see why this is important uh, John 20 verse 22 through 23 and then again a lot of Baptists some will even say the church began with John the Baptist right? that's why we're Baptists because John was the first Baptist right? and he is our pattern in John 20, 22 through 23, we read this in our Q&A uh, this morning. It says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye admit, there it remit there they are unto them. And whosoever sins ye attain, there retain there they are retained. Where do you think the Catholics get confessing your sins to the priests? From verses like this. Right, You've got to confess your sins to the priests so that they can forgive you. Right? So that you can have a mediator for you. So if John the Baptist is our pattern, the church began with John because he was the first Baptist, then John 20, 22 through 23 should be uh, applied today, right? And so we maybe should go to our pastor and confess our sins so that he can commit our sins. So you can see how you can very quickly get on some bad doctrine if you do not understand when the mystery was revealed, when the body of Christ began, and what your pattern is. Mark 16, verse 15 through 18. So this is the Great Commission that many churches quote and say is for us today. Uh, And then they only quote verse 15, which says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach a gospel to every preacher. And that's where they stop. Because if you continue to read, it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow him that believeth. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So again, if this is our commission, you have to take verse 15, 16, 17, and 18, not just verse 15. Right? And so what you have here is got to believe and be baptized for salvation. Uh, you will have signs that follow you, which are speaking in tongues, casting out devils, taking up serpents, drink any deadly thing, uh, lay hands on the sick, and they recover. So again, you have churches that practice these things. They pick up serpents, uh, they lay hands on people to have them healed. They speak in tongues. They try to cast out devils, right? Uh, they teach you have to be baptized for salvation because they say, well, this is a commission to the church, right? And so you see the confusion that abounds because people do not understand when the mystery began. They do not understand God dispensed things progressively, like not all at once. They do not know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20. Many people love Matthew 5, right? The Beatitudes. Um... Some people were made to memorize Matthew 5, 7, and 6. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, sorry. Um, some programs out there teach that you need to have your kids memorize these. In verse 17, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot, or one tittle in No wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus here is teaching you have to keep the law. And so he says, those who keep the law, even the least commandments, you're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And those who break the least will be the lowest. And unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's setting the standard here. You keep the law, all of it, the least and the greatest, and you have to have righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. So you can make the case here that we need to keep the law if we want to be Have a greater position in the kingdom of heaven. Um, Which is the correct teaching here for Israel, right? Not for you. And then if you go to Matthew 23, verse 1 through 3, again to show Jesus very very clearly taught the law. It says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude, to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So, of course, Moses was the giver of the law. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in his seat giving the law. It says, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So he's teaching against, don't be a hypocrite like the scribes and Pharisees. Do what they tell you to do because they're teaching you the law. You need to keep the law, but they say it and they don't do it. You need to say it and do it. That's his point here. Right? So he's teaching you need to keep the law. Don't be a hypocrite and teach the law and not keep it. Teach the law and keep the law. Is what he's saying here. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 5 through 8. It says, These twelve, the twelve disciples, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and to any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. So here he's saying, don't go to Gentiles. Right? So if you believe John the Baptist is our pattern, this is after that. So this would be instruction for us. But that contradicts the Great Commission. And so people do write the divide here and they say, well, that was during a period of time, and now we go to everybody. Right? So by nature, you have to write the divide because there are contradicting passages. Um, and so you have here Jesus teaching, don't go to Gentiles. So comparing this to what Paul says, you can see distinct differences. In First Corinthians thirteen eight, he says, "Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease; whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away." And he's talking about the spirit, uh, supernatural gifts that were given by the spirit. Right, tongues shall cease. Right, that's why we don't speak in tongues today because they cease. Right, Um, so you get that from Paul's epistles. Same in Ephesians four, he says the gifts were given until a certain time, and that time was uh, the building up and establishing of the body of Christ and the dispensing of the mystery being known. You can read about that in Ephesians four, verse eleven through sixteen. You go to Ephesians four thirty-two. So in John we saw where he gave power to the apostles about remitting sins and retaining sins. Ephesians 4:32 says, "Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you." You already have forgiveness. It's not up to a priest or an apostle to remit or retain your sins. You don't have to confess it to them. You're already forgiven, right? Now you have to acknowledge you're a sinner and need a savior. But then you trust in Christ for that salvation and that forgiveness. Right, you don't have to confess it to a man sitting in a position of authority over you. Colossians 1.14 says we're forgiven through the blood of Christ, right? not through a priest or a human mediator here. Romans 6.14 says you are not under the law, but under grace. Right, so Jesus in Matthew 5 and 23, we saw clearly taught the law. You have to keep the law if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven don't be a hypocrite, teach the law and do the law, is what Jesus taught. Paul says you're not under the law, you're under grace. Right. So a clear distinction. Uh, and then Ephesians 3, 9, he says, Make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Right. This is our commission, Right. that we would make all men see. So that part where Jesus says, don't go to the Gentiles, is contradictory to what Paul says here about make all men see what is the fellowship of this mystery, right? So again, you have to understand the differences, right? And you have to put them in their right context, right? And these are reasons uh, why we are mid-Acts so that we can explain these differences. Jesus was ministering to Israel under their covenants, under uh, the prophecies. Paul was ministering to the body of Christ under the information of the mystery in this dispensation of grace. So again, if you do not know when this age began, your foundation, your doctrine will be wrong, you'll be mixed up, you won't have clear understanding. Uh, which is our next point, your understanding will be incomplete. First Timothy 1, seven. Paul says, Some are desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. So these people who teach the law, they don't understand what they're saying or what they're affirming, right? We have this today: people who teach the law that don't have proper understanding of what God is doing today, because we're not under the law. In Ephesians three, verse three through four, Paul says, "How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore a few words, whereby when you read." you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So again, you have to read what Paul wrote to have understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. right? And so without Paul's epistles, we would not have that understanding. right? 1 Corinthians 14, 19-20. Paul is rebuking the Corinthians here for their speaking in tongues and not having interpreters because the whole point of speaking in tongues was so that people in other languages could hear the truth. He says, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Rather be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. All right, so Paul encourages, you need to be a grown up, you need to be mature in your understanding. He said, I'd rather speak five words so that the person that I speak them to can understand what I'm saying and to speak 10,000 words in a different language and then not understand what I'm saying. Right? There's no profit there. If I get up here and start speaking in Mandarin, none of you would know what I'm saying. And I could look all uh, smart right, and eloquent, but you would all be ignorant because you don't know what I'm saying. Right? If I get up here and speak 10 words in the English language and explain something very clearly, that is way more profitable right, to you. That you can have that understanding. That's what he's saying here. Uh, so Paul encourages understanding. Ephesians 5 17. He says, Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So if you don't know what the will of the Lord is, you're an unwise person, is what he says here. He says, Don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Right? So you have to know what God's doing today to know what his will is. Second Timothy 2 7. It's a very interesting verse. Paul says, "Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things." So, if you want to have understanding in the Word of God in all things, you need to consider what Paul has said. Right? It's not that Paul explains absolutely everything that God would have you to know, but he can give you understanding in all things because he fulfills the Word of God. Right? You can know how God will. uh, have all things in Christ in the fullness of time, right? Based on the information that was given to Paul. Um, and so your understanding will be incomplete if you do not understand uh, that the mystery and the grace of God was given to the Apostle Paul. And then another reason it's important is because you can easily mix or corrupt the gospel. Regulations 1 6 through 9, Paul warns against those who would preach another gospel. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of God, uh, Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And he goes on to say, I certify you that the gospel that I preach is not a man, but is of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, we see a very clear explanation of what the gospel is. Uh, He says it is that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. He says this is the gospel whereby you are saved. So the gospel very clearly, very simply, is that Christ died for your sins uh, and rose again for your justification, right? And your faith in that is how you are saved. Ephesians 2, 8-9, it's by grace through faith you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 4, 5 it says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth him ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Right? So it's not of works, it's to the one that does no work but rather has their faith in the one that justifies, in Jesus Christ. And so that is the gospel very clearly, right? Faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ you do no works, Right? Um, and so if you don't understand that Paul was given this dispensation of the gospel, as he says in 1 Corinthians nine seventeen, in Ephesians six nineteen, he says uh, the mystery of the gospel was given to him and that he would have boldness to speak it. Uh, you need to know what that gospel is. Otherwise, you will be confused, as many are. We're at Acts two thirty eight, where it says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So you have people that teach. You have to be baptized and saved for salvation. Right, that's not the gospel that... Uh, saves today. That's not the gospel that Paul preached. James two twenty four, which is a direct contradiction to what we just read in Romans four five, where it's to him that worketh not, but believe it, his faith is counted as righteousness. James says, you see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only, right? And so you have this dilemma between James two and Romans four, and we've covered this before. James is not writing uh, to us. He's writing to people under the law. Right, Their faith was in what God had told them to do, which was to do a certain uh, activity or work. Right, And so it's their faith working out of them. It's faith in their work to show their faith. Uh, for us, Christ did the work, and we simply have faith in him and say, I do no works because I have no works to offer. Uh, Revelation 3.20 is the verse where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? And if any man will open, I will come into him, and I will sup with him. Right? That has to do with the kingdom. You have to open the door to Christ. You have to trust in him as the Messiah, follow him, and you'll get into the kingdom to where you can sup with him. Um, but people take that and say, you have to open your heart's door. Right? So they corrupt the gospel because they don't know what the gospel is. Right? So they say, receive Jesus into your heart. That doesn't save you. Right, But if he doesn't want to come into your heart, right, how do you explain that? Um, you have to explain that you're a sinner. Christ died for that. He has erected, said so you have eternal life. Put your faith in that. Put your faith in what Christ did for salvation. Right? And then First John 2, 3. It says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So this is where you have uh, some of the lordship salvation people who say, Well, you're only saved if you bear fruit. Right? If you make him Lord of your life, and if you stop sinning. right, and Some people go that far to say you must never sin again. You have to keep his commandments if you're truly saved, right? which is not the gospel. right? That is, works for salvation. And so you have to understand where we're at today, what information is for us today, when did this day, uh, age begin, what is the gospel you preach, so that you can clearly understand and communicate uh, what the gospel is. Otherwise, you will easily corrupt it. Right? mix it, you will get it wrong so that's why this is important some very important reasons there and then why do we need to defend this and so one reason we need to defend it is to make the gospel clear Right, Second uh, Corinthians 11 through 4 Paul warns against those that would preach another Christ and would take you away from the simplicity that is in Christ he says, "But I fear lest, by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preach another Jesus, whom we have not preached; or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received; or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him." So he's warning against he those who would corrupt Jesus Christ, who would corrupt the Spirit, and who would corrupt the gospel. Right? So we need to uh, defend the mid-ex dispensational teaching. That clearly distinguishes when this age was given, right, and where we find the gospel in Paul's epistles so that we can clearly communicate the gospel, right? And we uh, need a warning against those who would preach another gospel, such as accept Jesus Christ into your heart, be baptized for salvation, make Christ the Lord of your life, right? None of that is the gospel. Uh, Romans sixteen twenty five. Paul says to him that would establish you according to my gospel. This is the gospel given to Paul whereby we are established. Right, and then Romans four twenty three through 25 tells us that that gospel is that Christ died for our iniquities and was raised again for our justification. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, It is by grace through faith we are saved. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17 through 18. Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. So very clearly from here, Paul has the understanding that the gospel in salvation has nothing to do with baptism. Because he says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So Paul very easily distinguishes those two things. Right? I'm preaching the gospel, I'm not baptizing. So you are saved by faith in the gospel, not by baptism very clearly told. So we need to defend this uh, so that we can clearly explain the gospel. The second reason we need to defend it is because it is our commission, right? Second uh, Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ and are given the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, Ephesians 6, 19 through 20 Paul says, ask the Ephesians to pray for him that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I may speak boldly as I hope to speak. So Paul says he's an ambassador uh, to speak the gospel. If we are ambassadors for Christ too, then we also are ambassadors to speak the gospel, and we should speak the mystery of the gospel boldly, just as Paul did. Uh, Philippians two, fifteen through sixteen. Says that you may be blameless and harmless sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shines as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Right, so we shine as light in the world today by holding forth the word of life, which is the gospel. And the last reason we need to defend it is because Paul as our pattern, right as an apostle, he had to defend it. Right, he had to defend the mystery that was given to him, the information. Uh, that's why in Galatians you see, I certify you, right? He's giving that certificate of authority that was given to him by Jesus Christ. He had to make sure it was clear, this was given to me by Jesus Christ. I didn't come up with it. Right? Uh, we too will have to defend it. Right? Uh, 2 Timothy 1.8, which we read earlier, Paul is encouraging Timothy to not be ashamed. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So if we can take this verse as well, we shouldn't be ashamed of the testimony of Paul or of Jesus Christ. And we should be ready to take afflictions when we communicate the gospel uh, of Christ. Uh, Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul and... All of his epistles says Paul an apostle, or Paul a servant, and he does that to assure of his apostleship. Right Romans one one he says Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. Right, he's given his credentials that he is an apostle. Right, and he had to defend that because people would question that. Right, who is Paul? Right, he's not one of the twelve. No, he was given a special ministry. Right, he was one born out of due time, it says in Corinthians. In Galatians two, one through five. It says then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with uh, Barnabas, and took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were a reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unaware is brought in who came in privately to spile our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they may not bring.